0: Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Comeback Podcast with Mark Jenison. And today, we got Dr. Adi. How are you doing, man? I'm
1: good. I'm great, man. I'm glad we can do this.
0: Absolutely. I'm excited. So here, I'm just going to be straight, blunt, honest, and tell you how I came across your page. Hell yeah. Doing all the stuff, right? Um, My guy, Kevin here, my partner, he was looking at ClickFunnels, and you put something out about one of your programs that you're selling to help people uh, stop drinking and, or, you know, to to fix the relationship. Yeah, yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah, sure.
0: I've got a long extent, uh, like a a background of using drugs and alcohol and similar story, right? Yeah. I want to fire out this podcast right away and let you take the floor and explain exactly. Just let's hear your story. You there? Damn it. There you are.
1: Sorry. I lost you. Um, I lost you right in the background story. So
0: yeah, so just go ahead and just nail my my viewers with your story. I know I know a little bit, but I want to be. I just want to get up to speed on who you are, where you came from, and all that stuff.
1: Sure, I want to dig into yours after that too. Um, although I'm sure your listeners have heard it before. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, I grew up as a normal kid, middle slash upper middle class family. Um, my dad was a doctor, but moving to the states, it was actually tough. Like, you know, he was uh, he he went back to like medical student kind of status. So for five years we were pretty fucking broke, but I can swear on this, right? That's okay. Absolutely. Okay. Um, so living in the States, you know, high school, like I think most other kids started drinking, started, um, smoking weed. Honestly, for me, it was, uh, it was like a, I call myself like I used it for like a social lubricant okay. sort of reason, but, It goes even one level beyond that. Just like I always felt a little awkward, a little socially anxious when I was younger. And so when cooler kids than me brought out, you know, a bottle of vodka, I wasn't going to say no. And that's how it started. But then I actually really, really liked the effect. Like my social anxiety really went way down when I got a little drunk and so started drinking on the weekends. That became a, a more frequent and frequent thing. Moved to another high school, and then got in with a group of people I call us like the smart druggies. Like we were on all the AP classes, but we did school all the time and uh, and smoked weed and, and drank and uh, and tried other stuff. And so by the time I went to college, I was a pretty I was pretty close to like a daily drinker and weed smoker, which I think is not that uncommon of a story. It's not most of the people, but it's a lot of the people I end up dealing with. Um. Had a bad breakup, went into some pretty massive depression after it. You know that kind of like when your first serious relationship ends, the person you thought you're going to spend the rest of your life with. Right. Um, it's a joke now because I'm actually friends with her like through social media, but it's like a joke that I was so distraught over the end of this relationship. But I, I got so depressed. I tried everything. So I like that's when I tried blow. I tried all these things. I just tried whatever would make me feel not like myself. And that kept escalating. I was now. Like drinking and smoking all day and trying other things, whenever, Like and ecstasy, um, like I say, cocaine. That's when acid and mushrooms came into my life. I became like, I mean, to most of society, I was just a fucking druggie. Like that was probably the only way to describe me. I moved myself to LA because I was in Buffalo at the time and I hate the cold. So sorry for you all over there. Um, I can't do it. But moved myself from Buffalo to LA. The excuse was music and school, and it went like that for a little while. But then I got into the drug scene pretty quickly, and drugs became a really big part of my life again. So um I wasn't smoking weed anymore. Weed had started making me paranoid, but I was doing a lot of ecstasy, um, doing some coke, drinking quite a bit. And uh, eventually I got introduced to meth, and that drug became my thing, like within – I would say within um, six months to a year, I was using it pretty much daily. Started selling it, and by the end of my story, I could pretend I was anything else, but I was essentially a drug dealer and drug addict, like just making a good amount of money off of drugs. But I was using all the time. You know, I found these. um, I ended up in a very um, the best way to describe it. I'm like like Scarface like situation. So I be holed up in my own little recording studio or I was making music all night and hanging out with guys and girls and whatever. And um, But I was always getting hot. Like, I had these video cameras that, that were all over the inside of the studio and the outside because people had robbed me, et cetera. And I found tapes of that after I'd gotten sober. And um, I would literally sit there for like five to seven to eight hours on the same couch smoking meth. And then people would come in and buy drugs from me and I would hang out with them and then they would leave and I would stay on the couch and just smoke and Like eventually maybe go to sleep on that couch. Who knows? But it was a pretty sad existence. It didn't hit how sad it was until closer to the end of it. I tried to quit the drug a bunch of times, but the thing that made me quit is I got into a motorcycle accident. I got found with about a quarter to a half pound of cocaine on me, got arrested and, uh, after three months of the police trying to get me to snitch, et cetera, and then I wouldn't, they came with a SWAT team to my house. And uh, 8 o'clock on a Saturday morning, they you know, flooded my room with SWAT. Um, and that was the beginning of the end for me. I went to court, went to rehab, did a year in jail. And When I got out, I really had to figure out what the fuck to do with my life. And for a nine-time convicted felon, even getting a mall job is really difficult. Um, so fortunately for me, I'm really lucky in this. I had family support and I had this thing to fall back on, which is I'm really good at school. So I went back to school and I went and got my master's in psychology and then my PhD studying addiction the whole way. And since then, I, um, I've pretty much I've made it my life's mission. It pisses my wife off so much how much it's my life mission, but like I've made it my life's mission to see just how many people I can help not have to struggle as far as I did and not have to hit rock bottom. I hate that idea that everybody has to hit a rock bottom. So what can we do to help people make, you know, people call it like having a higher bottom or, or make sure that they don't have to go as far down before they right. can get better.
0: Right. So you, you went to jail, you got out, then you decided to go to school. So I want to hear about the, that portion of your life. Like, sure the shit, the pit, the hole, the negative, we could sit here and talk about. I can remember one time sitting in my, my middle of my room in California. I spent 2000 2007 in Southern California. Oh, okay. Where? Um, in like Corona Riverside. Cool. That's where I got introduced to meth as well.
1: It's a good, uh, it's a good meth. It's a good meth area.
0: Yeah, running it, running down. There's a ton of meth down there. Um, okay. I remember, you know, just one night where I got my bed flipped up against the windows. I'm sitting in the middle of my room talking to my speed pipes, right? Like Literally, this was my hanging out. Just, that was my pre-party to go out and figure out how to meet all these girls, right? Because I love that portion of it. Yep. And, uh, but so we could go on and on and on about that. What I want to talk about is the actual positivity that you took from it and how you did it and the mental mind switch and, and what it took, right? Obviously, sure. dude, But
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's I think I think the important thing about me being a smart dude is that nobody is immune. Like just being intelligent doesn't fucking help. It's not right. stupid. People are not drug addicts. That's not the deal. Um, but, you know, I think maybe to, to explain what made me come up, it's important to explain what, what I felt when I was down. So I tried to quit meth like three or four times by myself.
0: And what, kept, um, what kept stopping?
1: You know, my entire life was surrounded by it. So I made my money. I was making like on a bad month, like fifteen to $20,000 selling right. drugs. And all the girls I knew – All the people, like all my friends who were running drugs for me, everybody was in that life. And I remember I felt so shitty about myself that whenever I was alone, which wasn't often, but whenever I was alone and like thoughtful enough in the moment, the only thing that would go on in my head was something along the lines of, what the fuck are you doing? That was like just this constant mantra in my head so obviously that's not something you want to, um, you don't want to feel that you don't want to address it. So I would constantly drown it out with people with, you know, strip clubs and clubs and, and people around me and, and the drama of that life. Um, I say that I got a lot of stop signs in a row. So like when I broke my leg, I couldn't walk. Like I go into the bathroom was tough cause I broke my tibia and my fibula. I couldn't, um, I couldn't get out of bed. It took me 30 minutes to get out of bed and go to the bathroom. So that was like the first thing of, okay, stop sign. You got to do something. Now, not only have I been arrested, but I live at home. None of the people that were selling for me really wanted to come by because we didn't know if the police was watching me. I mean, you know, you get caught with a quarter to a half pound of cocaine. They don't think you're doing it for personal use. So that was the first thing. And then um, when the SWAT team came in, it was another stop sign of like, hey, now I spent a week in jail. My parents wanted to bail me up and I had like a seven hundred and fifty thousand dollar bail. And I remember I've always been, and this is I think important, it's something I try to teach the people that go through my course. I've always been um independent. And what I mean by that primarily is like I'll give an example. So when I was in jail, b- broken leg, I mean literally the cops like had to lift me to take me to the squad car, to take me to the county hospital thing that was attached to the jail. I'm in a room with all the people who got injured being arrested or were heavily injured before. So like broken leg, broken arms, you know, people in in casts, all this stuff. Toilets are broken. It's fucking hell. And um, and I'm coming off of meth, so I'm sleeping, getting up and eating, sleeping, coming, getting up and eating. That's all I'm doing. And um, I get a, I get to call my parents from this shitty payphone. And my dad's like, Hey, we're trying to come up with the money for bail. You know, seven hundred fifty thousand dollars bail means my parents have to come up with seventy five k. And I go don't even fucking think about it you know i recognize there was something in me that allowed me to recognize i'm fucking this up this is not anybody else's problem i'm messing this up so i think that's an important piece of the puzzle is own your shit right um that doesn't mean there were no reasons right i had stuff and we can get into the stuff of why this happened but in the moment i think a lot of times you got to own your circumstances and say all that stuff is important, all the things that happened to me in the past are important to resolve so I can understand and get learn how to get myself out of here, but I still have to own who I am right now. And then I went to jail. Like after a year in rehab I went to a year in jail and you know I got to tell you everybody understands this logically, fucking jail sucks. Like I tell this to people but one of the weirdest things about jail is it sounds weird, but taking a shit in front of like a bunch of other guys who are like showering and brushing their teeth. Is so dehumanizing. Um, most people can't even fathom it, right? And, and that's one example of all the ways in which jail is terrible.
0: Right.
1: So when I got out, the day I got out, I made myself a promise. and I'm like, you're going to do whatever you have to do to never end up back in that place. And I literally was in my mind, like, I didn't care if I had to be a janitor and go clean toilets, whatever it was I had to do. The irony was I couldn't even get a job cleaning toilets. Like, nobody would hire me. So... There was a lot of humility. It sounds simple now, fifteen years later, but you know, I applied to like twelve, fifteen jobs, got nothing. Um, had to take a, an exam to get back into school after being a quote unquote drug dealer and walking around with like ten grand in my pocket whenever I wanted to, and having like a navigator and a, and a you know and a cruiser motorcycle and like all the girls I wanted. Going back to class was. You know, it was an experience. I mean, having a teacher tell me what to do after living that life for five years took a lot of humility in saying, I'm doing what I need to do for myself. And there were still, there were a lot of other opportunities along the way to get that humility and have to come up against moments where I thought I was better than what was happening to me and really coming face forward with, you know, it doesn't matter how you think about yourself in your own little head. The world is telling you, this is where you are. So own it, figure out how to get past this place and do it. And, um, you know, you mentioned the click funnels thing. I see this stage of what I'm doing in the same way. Like I've owned a rehab, it failed. Um, and it failed for a lot of reasons, but, um, you know, I, I've done a lot of things that didn't really hone in on that piece for me of how to help the most people that I can. And the reason I got on, The reason I even found ClickFunnels is this idea of how do I get my message out to as many people who are out there struggling and can't spend 30 grand a month on rehab, who can't take a month off to 90 days off of their life. They just can't do it. So it doesn't matter how bad their problem is until they lose everything, they will not be able to do that thing. And I wanted to deliver something else for them. And so I started looking around at what's out there and this idea of online courses and automated websites that can drop the price point, but yet I get to deliver the message. I don't have to hire people and train them. It's my videos, my live chats that people tune into. And um, it's been a really big awakening because I get to help people from all over the country and all over the world who are struggling with sex addiction, gambling, drugs, alcohol, whatever their, their specific thing is, and relate to my experience and and can learn from it. So it's been a really really amazing thing to go through and to kind of even see for myself where I came from and where I'm at now is always just ridiculous to look back at.
0: So do you find with these courses cuz this is one of the one of my thoughts is that's the how we get the message out to help as many people as we can but you find now that you're getting people to be able to make change that way?
1: Oh oh my god. I mean I'll, I'll tell you, like, so I just shared this on my newsletter just the other day. I wasn't, I wasn't sure. So everybody who's listening right now um, has probably, like, seen Russell Brunson's Expert uh, Secrets book, right? right. Like, I feel, I feel like that's one of the Bibles now for this, for this area of life. And I wasn't sure. So I told myself, again, humility, right? I, um, I told myself, I'm going to do the experiment. So I did that whole six-week course thing. Um, sorry, I'm ADD, so I'm going to walk You're around every fine. once in a while. I, I can't be in one spot. Um, so I did the thing, like knowing nothing about anything. I said, I'm going to go do this six week live course. And I learned about like webinar jam and, and how to do webinars and all this stuff. And I'm really good at PowerPoints cause I teach. So I teach a class at UCLA. I've been teaching for the last 10 years. Um, I'm great at PowerPoints, went and did a webinar had no idea how to get people to it, you know, had like 10 or 11 people land on it. Four people signed up for the course. I did Ryan Levesque's like ask campaign beforehand to find out some of the messaging or whatever. And then I did the course live for six people. That's the people who kind of signed up for the first one. And people loved it. Like in the middle of talking and I'm remote and it's a group, they can barely participate. I'm giving messages and they're writing little things that they're struggling with. And people would literally write things like, oh, my God, I'm, I'm having a light bulb moment. Or they would email me the next day after a thing and say, you just completely changed the way I look at this. And I'd say it probably worked for half the people. Half the people, like, had life-altering experiences. And you got to understand, for somebody who used to run a rehab and my overhead was like $50,000 a month. Right. The idea that I can deliver help myself. um to these audiences that are all over the country, all over the world was amazing. So now I run an automated course. My next question was, can this still work in an automated way? Cause that at least I'm able to answer questions live on a webinar. I get these emails now from people which are like fucking mind blowing. Like this guy literally wrote me just the other day for him, it was porn addiction. And um, which is huge by the way, in this country, like right. We're uh-huh. we're going to, we're going to realize how shitty fucking porn addiction is in the next couple of years.
0: I find that too. Almost everyone I coach is struggling with that as well.
1: Well, cause they, they have a hard time with intimacy and with porn, you feel like you don't need it, but then you're, the rest of your life gets fucked up cause you don't have it. Right. So this guy literally wrote to me and said in the last two months, since I've started seeing your talks and being in this pot and uh, on this course, you have literally changed my life. And you know, I mean, because you coach people too, like, that's it. That's all I care about. I don't, Honestly, I don't give a fuck about the money. And the reason that's obvious and if anybody wants to see it, I haven't made a shit ton of money. I didn't make a shit ton of money when I ran the rehab. I barely paid myself so I could pay everybody else. My thing is there are millions of people struggling with this shit every single year. And what we know is that the way the treatment works right now doesn't work. It just doesn't do it. It's too expensive, too hard to get to, too shaming to stand up in front of a bunch of people you don't know and tell them all your secrets. Yep. Um, and so people aren't doing it. And the fact that I can now offer it for $1,000, what people were used to paying like five to ten to $30,000 for, and they actually get me instead of getting some master's level person who's kind of knowing what they're talking about, but not really, and had like a teacher teach them about addiction, it's, it's life altering. It's fucking great.
0: So what's the overall future look like for you?
1: I mean, more of this, man. Um, so I, I started, my company's called Ignited, IGNTD. And I'm starting with addiction, but, you know, I, um, I want to be able to bring life-changing messaging to people. It's primarily going to be around relationship issues and around addiction issues. I think both of those have to do a lot with intimacy. But my goal is to, I mean, I want to, by the time I'm done, I want to have helped a million people. I want a million people to have been through the experience and, and just be altered and changed. I want to I wanna, I wanna know, I mean, I my, uh, my overarching goal for Ignited Recovery is to literally bring the addiction rate down in the country. So right now we're at about 25 to 30 million people. I want to put about a 10% dent in that. And, and drop it, and the, and for ignited couples, I want to lower the um, the divorce rate in this country. My wife and I do a lot of workshops for people, and we're going to do more courses around um, relationship issues. And my goal is to you know we're at like 55 percent lifetime divorce rate. Um, I want to cut I want to cut that, and uh, and I think there are really good ways to help people who are struggling in their relationships understand how to completely obliterate some of those issues and help themselves get to a place where they want intimacy instead of running away from it and being scared.
0: Now, one of the things you don't, because I did watch your webinar. Yeah. You, um, you still drink? Or have I, a- do.
1: I, I do. I do. Um, I drink. I don't believe that abstinence is a good point. I think this is actually really important to get into. Two things. A, I don't believe abstinence is a necessary Ingredient to start your recovery process, and I think that's important to say because I'm writing a book right now, and the the working title is The Abstinence Myth, um, and that's a lot of people when they hear it think nobody is ever abstinent. That's not actually what I mean by it, and when people read the book, they get it. The myth is that abstinence has to be the goal for everybody's recovery. Um, there's a lot of research that actually shows that a lot of people who struggle with addiction go back to normal. Um, using pattern primarily this is around alcohol and weed you're not going to find a lot of meth and heroin addicts
0: i, was say, man, I don't know if i could use heroin coke and meth as a fucking recreation but no. a shot if you say it's all right you're the doctor
1: <laughs> well uh, no so so here's but here here's another caveat and i say this in the book too and i say very cleanly to everybody who participates 40 to 50 percent of the people who come to me looking to reduce their drinking or weed smoking decide to quit on their own. Yeah. So. I'm agnostic, which means I don't care if you drink or use Lifetime. What My message, the whole ignited recovery message to people is this. We're looking at the wrong thing. When you put your focus on the alcohol and the drugs, you think that stopping or using those is going to fix or hurt you, and that's not the reality. There are a host of other things under the hood that you need to address, and the problem is we've trapped ourselves in this place where we think that when somebody is abstinent, they're successful. And when somebody is using, they're failing. And, I mean, you've been, you've been sober?
0: Yeah. How many years? Uh, two years and seven months to 27.
1: Two. congratulations, first of all. And the second piece is you know people. I mean, it sounds like from what you're doing is you got really fucking active once you got sober. Like Absolutely. you started doing shit.
0: I've always but, been this guy. I just removed that and fixed per- it underneath it.
1: Cool, but you know guys that you've known now that you're sober who aren't like that. Their fucking life is still miserable. They're addicted to the addiction. They're addicted to the addiction,
0: and they have
1: probably layers and layers of shit under the surface. Ways that their parents talked to them that made them look at themselves in specific ways. Traumas that happened earlier on in life. Um, Biological issues, just things with their brain and body that are causing them pain and suffering and they're not addressing those things because what they were told was that abstinence is the most important thing and what i'm saying is it's not that it's not an important thing but that by itself will not fix you so get abstinent if if that's what you want but then keep doing the work the deeper work and i know you're in 12 step
0: no no.
1: okay there there you go so here's another big piece of the puzzle for a lot of (laughs) <laughs> what's that?
0: The next question was what's your thoughts on it? Cause it, it shit doesn't work for me. I'm yeah. Saying, you know, a good program, but I, I wanted more. I wanted to thrive. I wanted to make money. I want my kid. I want a girlfriend. I wanted to build fucking 10 businesses, right. Or whatever I want to do.
1: Yeah, there you go. So, so here's, here's the key. And right now you already hit on that thing that I talked about earlier, which is this, you got to own your shit. If you think that following the steps, will fix your life, you're also missing the point. It's about really deeply looking inside and starting to own all the dirty shit and all the great stuff. And the things you're unhappy with, you got to go and you got to fix them. You got to address them. So um, how do I feel about 12 steps? Look, I think 12 steps are great. Even by its origin, the 12 steps are supposed to be a program of um, attraction. So like, people who like it are supposed to go there. We need to stop sending people the 12 steps. It's insane a great that, we, that we mandate people to go to a program that was never meant for anybody who doesn't want it. So that's the, one, the number one thing. Secondly, I believe in what I teach people in the Ignited Recovery course is you need to build as big a toolkit as you can. I mean, look, you, um, you, do a, you have a coaching business, at least one of your businesses, right? Yep. yep. You have coaching tools. So you might present to people that you work with 15 different techniques, worksheets, concepts, mindset, whatever it is that you do to help them get what they want. You can't rely on one. Like if you only had one tool in your toolkit, you'd be able to help 15% of your clients with half of their problems. The reason a good coach is good is when a client comes up with a problem, you go back to your toolkit, you pull something out, you're like, I got it. This is the thing that's going to address it. And then, and this is what really good coaches do. If that doesn't work, you go, it's cool. I got another tool. To me, 12 steps is one tool. It's a hammer or a nail or a screwdriver or a saw. But you can't build a fucking house with a single tool. So for some people, all they need is a nail hit in the wall and they're good. And so a hammer is good enough and the 12 steps will fix it. But for most people, you need a whole list of tools. Therapy, medication, cognitive behavioral education, meditation, and mindfulness, uh, whatever it is. And so my job is to educate people on the tools. And I tell them, I don't have a problem with you going to 12 steps. I mean, if, you, if that helps you, then by all means, go do it. But don't think for a second that that is the only tool or that, is, that it's not useful. It's, it's useful for the people that it helps. Uh, I have no problem with it. The biggest problem I have with it is we've, we've made it. And you probably know this if you ever try to get clean early on. We've made it in a lot of people's heads as the one solution that everybody needs to do. And that's just not true.
0: Yeah, we literally just built a new group called The Comeback. And out of the 700 people we put in in like a week, almost every single one of them, that's all they talk about is the 12 steps. It's so firmly rooted into their mindset that that's the only way for them to beat this addiction is to be addicted to that and live that lifestyle. And
1: I, so is your is your, your is the comeback concept all around um, coming back from addiction?
0: It's well for me. It's more. I mean, I think in the stage we're at for me, like you said, being a coach, it's adaptability, being the community, be able to help someone who's struggling with uh, you know whatever their addiction may be, or financial loss, or shitty relationship, or fucking eating too much. So, right? Some of these guys fucking eat too much. Yeah, um, I mean, I
1: mean, look, dude, fat, fat, salt, and sugar are drugs, man.
0: Right. So whatever, so basically the comeback is trying to get them to live a better life by fixing these things that are causing them to do that shit. However, for love me, it. I know, like, I will never be able to go have one drink because I know I fucking love it. I'm not, Good. I am not there's no reason to lie, dude. If I could fucking hit it wide open and party and fucking just live that life and have no repercussions, I would live that life every day. Sure. But here's what I'm saying. That all that matters is that you know yourself. Right. And here's, and
1: here's the key, right? Like. If you know this about yourself and you're honest about it, then you don't miss drinking. Why don't you miss drinking? Because in your head, drinking will fuck up your life. Right. And just like you don't miss going out there and snorting sand or like punching yourself in the face, you don't want to go fuck up this life you've built. You've spent two and some years. Just wait until you've built it for 10, 15 years and you've got your wife and your kids that you love. I tell this to my, my clients all the time. The reason I don't go out and do some of the drugs that I've done before is not only because of the legal stuff and all those things. It's also because I've built this life that I cherish and I don't want to do things that destroy that. So that applies to a lot of different things in my life and that's why, just like what you just said, the important thing is to find somebody who speaks your language, who you relate to, follow their recommendations, do what they've done, follow the tools, go build the life that you love and what I tell people is the drug and alcohol use will become less important as you do that anyway. And like I said, about half of the people that I work with then make the decision you made to just say, you know what? I'm done. All right.
0: Well, that's awesome, And Actually, I want to leave it right there so you can get to the next podcast, what you got to do. But where do we, fo- where do my listeners find you? Because some of the guys are going to want to check out and hear more about you. And hopefully maybe you'll gain some business from it or we get Absolutely. work for each of us. So I know where you're at. Tell my guys where you're at.
1: So ignited.com is the easiest place to find me. IGNTD. We just took some vowels out. Ignited.com. Uh, in it, there's ignited man, ignited woman, ignited couples, and ignited recovery. If you want to see the webinar that you saw for uh, ignited recovery, it's IGNTDrecovery.com. And I'd love to do more work together, man. I mean again, billion people right, we got it let's let's go make an impact. Let's let's change people's lives.
0: Can't do it alone, right? We gotta kinda team together, guys that have like minded because I think we would mesh really well together.
1: Absolutely, man. Absolutely.
0: Well, I'll let you get going to the next one. I appreciate your time, man. All
1: right, brother. Have a good one. Take care. Bye.